So I vaguely remember last week talking about the the natural uh, the natural evolution of practice, the natural movement of practice is from the uh, the narrow um, preoccupied fixated view of our self mostly the imagined me that's playing in our mind it moves out of that tangle you could say of of um, excessive um, discursive thinking and rumination and planning and remembering and hoping uh, to uh, from that narrow view more linear view of ourselves as moving through time to a much more wider, called the wider gravitational field of of the way of the Dharma, just the the what Alan Watts called the eternal now, the kind of primordial presence, the essential nature of our being that is uh, just waiting for us to connect with, uh, waiting in plain view, but because of the conditioned nature of our mind to go out or to uh, become dis- go out of ourselves into ta- into the thoughts of time to become disembodied and then and then increasingly uncomfortable about presence to then jettison into our um, uh, just live in our imagination and then the falling so easily into a mistaken view of ourselves as the one that uh, we think of ourselves as. The, the view of our, what the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti or self-view. But a view of ourself is not ourself. It's just an idea. It's a, it's a collection of memories that somehow magically we call together into this kind of cogent version uh, called me. But it completely breaks down on present evidence. It goes away on present evidence. There's not one person that can find whatever that version is when they're, uh, when they're settled into the immediate present. All one can really say in real time is, I'm aware. Or I'm whole. Or I have what I need. But of course, very quickly a thought arises. And of course, if that thought is recognized, it just shows itself as the natural expression of that knowing. But if it goes unnoticed, that thought, by its nature, is bent toward creating a, well, through a chain of associations, creating an alternative reality. The in Tibetan tradition, that's called the chain of delusion. We fall into delusion. And then, when we fall into delusion, this is, I'm just describing the human condition, when we fall into delusion, we fall into a very narrow view of ourselves. We, we fall into the view, the view of ourselves based on our history, our memories, our, uh, our desires, um, hopes, uh, and 
once I fall into my desires and hopes, if I'm a human being, I'm going to, um, I'm going to feel as though I've not quite, I can't quite relax right now. I have, I've got work to do. I've got somebody to become. I've got places to go, people to see, things to do. And completely innocently, I start to tense up a little bit. And I start to think of how I'm going to solve the riddle of getting where I want to go, doing what I have to do. And, and I miss the fact that what I'm really hoping for this is part of the narrow view of myself, what I'm really hoping for is that someday I do arrive. I do arrive at that place that I want, that, that I want to arrive at. And I, I achieve what I want to achieve. And that my, my happiness really will depend on arriving at that place. My happiness is um, precious to me and I know everybody has that same universal desire to be happy. And yet I start to associate that happiness with arriving somewhere else. And I don't even realize that I've just turned my present moment, my real-time experience, into a pass-through on my way to where I'm going, to the end of the rainbow. And then the expected feeling that I have at the end of the rainbow is what? What do I expect to feel when I've, when I've arrived? When I've gotten what I wanted? I get, get rid of what I, didn't, I don't want anymore. I've tidied up enough. What's the, hopeful, what's the hoped for feeling? What is the feeling you get when you do accomplish something? What is the feeling that you hope for? Peace, relief, cessation of tension, quiet. It's it's pretty sure thing. It's a pretty sure thing when you get to the end of your rainbow. There's this feeling of ah, and there's a little quiet. But meanwhile, because of the methodology. The methodology of, of quiet depends on conditions. Quiet depends on doing something. Depends on becoming something. What has been practiced all along is uh, the, the creation of addiction. Addiction to the state of becoming. Addiction to the objects that I associate with relief. And it could be, it can be as simple as what do I practice every week? I know I talk about this a lot here. Waiting for the weekend. Or when I first started, when I first in the early years of, of teaching, well, actually, I, I recalled 
a time, I used to live in Tucson, Arizona, and this should sound quaint to you, but I bought a home in 1976. You know how much I paid for my home? I'm going to brag. (laughs) $29,000. Put a couple thousand dollars down. (laughs) Huge privilege, no doubt, because there are many people even in Tucson that couldn't buy homes, but but nevertheless, compared to what, you know, the funny money, the, the way that we live now. But I bought this home and I got to work on home improvement. I made a garden in the back and I took this little, this little garage that had a, this funky little room on the top and I built a little stairway inside and then it became my, like a little bird's nest, a little perch on top of the garage. But it seemed like this home improvement project kept going on and on and on. And I realized at a certain point, and it was partly because I, the Dharma started, my Dharma understanding, Dharma understanding started to come in, but I realized home improvement is endless. It never ends. And I was... I had put myself again and again in a state of suspended relief, holding my breath until I'd get to the end of the project, and it never came. So this was a big theme in teaching in the early years. Is God, home improvement is endless. But the same is true of self-improvement. It's endless. And that it does and there's in the Buddha's teaching. It is not a teaching of waiting till the end of the rainbow. It's a teaching of non-postponement. What did the Buddha realize when he sat under the Bodhi tree? He saw his mind going, creating all these plans, all these notions, all these ideas of what was, you know, worthiness and unworthiness, which just sets up the wheel of searching for worthiness or avoiding unworthiness. And finally, said, this is samsara. This is just endless wandering. And as he saw how everything just comes and goes, arises and fades away, everything in our life, in a constant state of flux, he says, there's nothing you can cling to. There's no end of the rainbow that, that will last. And, and if you choose the wrong method, what will come in its wake is more desire, more waiting, more hoping. That's what I've been practicing. But he stopped waiting, stopped clinging to obsessing about what's next, about the end, and he relaxed, opened, as it's described in the Tibetan teacher, Gendon Ripche, he opened his tight fist of grasping, and infinite space was there. Went from that narrow view to wide. Infinite space is there open, inviting, and comfortable. And he just fell into the very feeling that we're usually waiting for at the end of the rainbow, the feeling of peace, that turned out to be none other than the natural state of our mind. And so then it became, practice became less about, the teachings point to less about becoming a good meditator 
or becoming aware or becoming a Buddhist or becoming, but rather being aware, being quiet. Just dropping this constant obsession with tomorrow and doing it now. And then, because we're creative beings, still we see there's work to be done in this world. There's so much care that needs to be taken. So many suffering. But now that I'm now that I've already arrived at the superior place at the end of the rainbow, now I can actually see who needs help. I can see, like I, thought, I think last night I shared David Budbill, I can see my fellow bugs. I can see we're like bugs in a bowl. And I go, oh, this is a nice bowl. This is what I've been missing. And of course, and out of out of my sense of presence, my passion changes. I still have the same passion, but it's not to get somewhere. It's to to be a benefit. It's to it's to it's to really take in the nutriment of life, not miss it. It's so amazing right here. Yeah. That's why I'm so thrilled when I when I stop and sit, and when I do it with good company, I'm so thrilled for you that you've stopped, because I know you you you've recognized that that this piece is an inside job. It's like no place. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. And all we do is we mirror to each other that you can that you're safe here. To I hope you feel safe, but you're safe here. You can you can just drop in and and get used to it. Enjoy the view. You can celebrate. As you, you watch TV and it's, or you see the news and you'd think, there's no way I can celebrate right now. There's just too many things to be mad about. I decided, I've decided this many times, I have to keep re-deciding. But I have been... Uh, I am prone to letting the politicians define my sense of well-being. And I've had to make a kind of resolve that I will not, I will not enable, be an enabler to let somebody else, I will not empower someone else to define my sense of well-being. And... uh, and if I and if and if I let if I let the the one who should not be named if I let him define my well being, that's on me. That's because I'm weak minded. That's from a lack of mindfulness, a lack of cutting through the feeling of unpleasantness. And knowing that the feeling of unpleasantness that I feel is a changing condition and finding my home right where I am. Because if I don't catch that feeling of unpleasant, can't navigate it, I'll immediately go into projecting it as hatred, as frustration, 
as demand. And then I'm, I, I'm not a very, I'm, I, don't, I don't exactly turn into a good, a good activist when I'm mad. I just, just implode. So I've been thinking in the last months that um, that I don't have to um, that none of us has to, as Sumedho says, become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya radiating love throughout the world. But I just have to be an earthworm. As he says, that knows only two words. He he uses the words let go, but I say let be. 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 And be quiet. Be quiet. Quietly aware. How far do I have to travel to do that? How long does it take? Just be. And then even get rid of the word be. Even that's too much. That's a good start. And quiet. Here's um, the poet Rumi. Inside this new love, die. Your way begins on the other side. Become the sky. I think I read this last week, maybe. Who knows? Become the sky. Take an axe to the prison wall. Escape. Walk out like someone suddenly born into color. Do it now. You're covered with thick cloud. Slide out the side. Die. And be quiet. Quietness is the surest sign that you've died. Your old life was an endless, frantic running from silence. The speechless full moon comes out now. And circulating widely on the internet this week is advice from the Beatles at the center of the Diagram on the Beatles' advice is, let it be. (laughs) And if you're sad, the Beatles say, take a sad song and make it better. Don't carry the world upon your shoulder. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be, be you in time. Come together right now. We're doing pretty well with that. Life goes on. And then if you're stressed, nothing is real. Remember? Nothing is real. Imagine all the people living for today. Um, If you're angry, picture yourself in a boat on a river. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. If you're hurt, 
I get by with a little help from my friends. But really in the center is let it be. This theme of being and being quiet is really all over the teachings. Here's from the Buddha, from the Dhammapada. However young, the seeker who sets out upon the way shines bright over the world. But, but day and night, the person who is awake shines in the radiance of the Spirit. Meditate, live purely, be quiet. Do your work with mastery. Like the moon, come out from behind the clouds, shine. And then if there's any doing to do, any doing involved, uh, it's to, again from the Dhammapada, master your senses. What you taste and smell, what you see, what you hear, In all things be a master of what you do and say and think. Be free. Be free. doesn't say become free. Be free. Are you quiet? Quiet your body. Quiet your mind. By your own efforts, wake yourself, watch yourself, and live joyfully. So that's the, the, the gist of the, the, the primordial truth of being quiet. At the root of our nature, easily overlooked, is the natural quiet of being conscious. Uh, but then there's also those things that, di- uh, be, that become in our lives the cause of disquiet. The things I just described, the endless running from silence, the endless waiting or hoping, the, the narrow, uh, often view of ourselves as, as, um, as being a problem that needs to be solved, that keeps us on this kind of treadmill of busy, of hurrying, all that hurrying. Um, it obscures whatever, always, what, what remains, which is this natural peace and ease. It's the peace and ease of our nature. But there are also views that we carry other than the mistaken, the misplaced faith that we put in, in time and in the senses. It's also just not being uh, quite in harmony with the way things are. And that's why so, it's so central in the teachings to contemplate the uh, reality that even if you're letting yourself be, even if you're being quiet, you live in an unfolding, a life of unfolding pleasant, present moments. So your senses are constantly, as long as you're alive, your senses will be impinged upon. In other words, if your senses are impinged upon, you will have stress. Stress is normal. It's inevitable. You know, the Buddha went through the list. Stress of being born. Stress of, stress of illness. Stress of aging. Stress of dying. Stress of, of not getting what you want. Stress of not wanting what you get. Stress of separation. So many areas that it's just part of the program. Not to expect otherwise. Not to think it's wrong. 
But of course, how do I, how do I work with that? If I have an understanding of it and I welcome it, that's the, the first noble truth. There is stress. What's the, there's a prescription. It should be welcomed, open to. And then one has to be able to say, yeah, I welcomed it. Everything about how you, how you meet the, the pain and suffering that, that shows up in your life. But to think that it's some kind of cruel joke or that it's, that it's just, just you that has stress, just that reaction to, to dukkha, which seems nobody wants to suffer, but just our typical reaction of fear and aversion and a sense of being contaminated by it, uh, that's, that's delusion. So we turn toward it, we lean toward it. And um, so there's the, just our relationship to stress. We learn how to let go. We learn how to, how to, we see that what also disquiets our mind are things that we, is having a loose tongue. You know, being, I've had a loose tongue in my life. I've caused a lot of suffering for myself and others through my, through my, um, it's funny that I use it for, for my life now, but <laughs> uh, just so much agitation, so much disquiet from unwise speech, unkind speech, untimely speech, gossip. Uh, just the other day I was talking to somebody and I, Two things in the conversation just stayed with me all day that I didn't have to say and that they were extra. And they were, you know, so it's a constant refinement, but nevertheless, being super careful with our speech can be such a cause of having uh, an, our actions in, in concert resonant with the quiet of our nature. So the the Buddha said, tell the truth. That tends to bring quiet. Say what's useful. Say what's timely. Say what's for a person's benefit. Um, Harmonious. That is in concert with our natural quiet. Of course, when you need to yell for safety... Even that will make you quiet if you, if you hold back when you need to say something loudly. That wouldn't be so good either. So, speaking wisely, acting wisely, uh, remembering that, that, we, that we share this planet together, this coming out of the coming out of our own selfish interest, I noticed that that um, I've been riding a little bit in my most recent home improvement project. Uh, we we um, we got solar for our house, and so reducing my carbon footprint because I fly a lot, but then the radar from being a little bit more present and sensitive is I realized I drive a lot. I don't need to drive as much as I drive. And it's not, 
my solar panels are not keeping up with my carbon <laughs> imprint. So little things, to, to, they're not, they cause a dissonance. So it's a matter, it, we practice so we can listen what those things are that, that actually uh, disquiet our mind. I don't know if there's a word like that, but somehow it's the one that's coming up tonight. And then, and I think this circles back to the one who I won't name. What's the, maybe the most disquieting thing is having a limited circle of affection. Because every being that I can't hold in my, in my heart, can't feel goodwill, causes agitation. Causes disquiet. And part of our practice of the Brahma Viharas, last week I talked about the, how this widens our circle of affection, but it's, it's not just the circle of affection, it's, it causes a huge reverberation when there is someone that's, that's left out of our circle that we can't love. It doesn't mean I have to like them, it doesn't mean I have to approve of their behavior, but if I'm, if I'm holding them with resentment, I'm holding myself in a very small little ball of ill will. And you know that expression from the Zen tradition, the way to control a cow is to give it a big pasture. You corral it in a little, in a little corral and it just goes crazy. And each person that I, that I have a hard time with each person that I haven't been able to forgive or I, I, or I ignore. You know, that's partly why we started, even when I don't even know that I ignore them. That's why we started this little every quarter we've, we're planning to do. We started with Noemi. Uh, we did a, a it's called an, eve, what was it? an evening of widening our circle of sensitivity. When Noemi came and, and did a whole talk on, di- on di- uh, living with disability and disability in general. And we're going to, uh, we'd like to in- find people in the Sangha who would like to talk about what it's like for you and that you may be in some, in some uh, have some experience that, that people who aren't like you wouldn't be aware of, wouldn't understand, wouldn't be sensitive to. And that widening of your of your uh, lens to your understanding. Again, that, that brings quiet to all of us. And what I don't know, I think, I, I think I can hide away in a kind of ignorance, but somewhere in us we know that we're not, we're not really attuned to how it is for other people. And so the, all of our widening, all of our increased sensitivity, the circle of our love, that quiets our hearts. That helps us love. And, and it helps diminish the, the feeling of restlessness and agitation. And the, the, I think a chronic feeling is, I want to be somewhere else. Why do you think we wait for the weekend? It's not always because of the job. It's just because we're, we we're not at home with ourselves. And the good news is, quiet waits. As 
as my teacher Punjaji says, freedom waits, but most are busy with something else. Thought I had it with me, I don't. Anyway, may we all find, uh, may we all recover the riches and the quiet that lives in our hearts as our hearts. That um, freedom lives us in us as ourselves, as our natural state. So be quiet. Let's just be quiet for a moment before we go home. So thank you so much for listening and being quiet, quietness itself. Uh, tonight we'd, we'd like to start, and I'd like to invite anyone who feels as though they would like some company walking to your car or to the bus, or uh, that's one thing. Two, if, if anyone uh, has driven and does anyone here need a ride somewhere that, they, that somebody might be able to offer? Everybody has a means of transportation? Okay, well, we'd like, you know, we'll periodically put it out that somebody could offer rides and, and feel free if you are one who needs a ride to ask for one. And, and does anybody, would anyone like to be accompanied to your car or to the bus or walking on Ju- walking on Julian to to 14th anybody walking anybody willing to walk Michael Marissa you connect with each other great anyway thanks again for your generosity so nice to be with you and see you next Tuesday, hopefully. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.